you know, I've given different, different incarnations of this talk, everywhere from speaking at a theological seminary, trying to get people that didn't know much about jazz to know a little bit about jazz. Uh, the setting here, I, I'm probably guessing um, not everybody here would consider themselves a Christian, but I think the take I'm going to try to get at today is why jazz can actually help Christians understand the way the world works a little better and even understand aspects of their faith that often get overlooked. We're going to start today, how jazz can help make us better Christians. And I hope that this is relevant for you if you are a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, maybe it will help explain some of the ways that you think Christianity is out of touch with reality. Because statistics show um, Christians that most people that would consider themselves not Christians have had significant contact with Christians. Um, if, if you're outside of the church or outside of the Christian community, I don't know if, if you know this, but most Christians inside the Christian community think that the only reason you're not a Christian is you haven't met us and you don't know us very well. And the fact is actually just the opposite. <laughs> the fact is most people have decided that they don't want to be Christians because they know Christians and they've had significant contact with Christians. One of the things that that means, now I'm speaking to Christians, is we need to think seriously about um, the faith that we embrace and also the way we present it. And I think often the way we present it is sort of super spiritual and not connected with reality. And I think jazz can actually help us connect our faith with reality and the way God has made us to live in this world. So here's Rodney Clapp's uh, provocative quote, stripped of a little of its uh, provocativeness. The argument I want to make here, this is how he starts his article, the argument I want to make here can be simply stated. Jazz can make us, especially the us of middle and upper class, relatively comfortable American believers, better Christians. Jazz, I want to suggest, can help us correct the heresies of disembodiment, privatization, and the skewing of eschatology. Now, don't worry, I'm going to explain what each of those three things are, and then I'm going to add a few points of my own on why I think jazz can be really helpful. A couple introductory points before we dive into that. Um, I'm taking as my starting point, and not all Christians agree with this, but I think they should. Did you find something else? Okay. Um, I'm taking as my starting point that the purpose of mankind, which the Bible says and which Christians have long believed, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that means that the purpose of anything that humans do, like music, which I believe is culture-making, it's, it's human activity, lived before God, uh, I think the purpose of that as well is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. One of the reasons that's important is often in Christian circles especially, people will take one sub-purpose um, of art that's a good valid sub-purpose and elevate it to being the overarching purpose. And when they do that, they end up sort of making um, judgments that this is better than this. This kind of thing, jazz is not as good as classical music, or it's not as good as Christian music, or hymns, or whatever. Uh, I think one of the problems is this, this unbiblical understanding of art. What I mean by a valid subpurpose is, for instance, to communicate, to communicate truth, or to imagine what beauty could look like in a world that's fallen, to communicate truth. Like all of these things are valid subpurposes. Art does all those kinds of things. Art speaks truthfully, but it also speaks hopefully, but it also um, can speak provocatively. In other times, art can be an exploration. You're not really wanting to communicate as much as you are trying to explore. How do you paint glory anyway, right? What does it look like? 
Uh, I think all these things are valid purposes of art. I think entertainment is a valid purpose of art. And I think all of them fit under the big purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever, which is just huge, a huge big, pur big purpose. So one of the reasons that a lot of times Christians have been uncomfortable with jazz is it doesn't seem to fit some of the purposes they tend to elevate, like communicating truth or preaching to the people outside of the church or all these kind of sub-purposes, or it's just about beauty, um, but they don't care if it speaks about the truth that we live in a broken world, right? And so you get a lot, of, a lot of problems, I think, in how a lot of Christians think about art. And flowing out of that is, I believe, there are all kinds of great music in the world. And I don't think I have to belabor that point. I had to make these points more at a theological seminary, I'm afraid to say, than I have to make here. Uh, but there's all kinds of great musics in the world. The way I understand music and how mankind fits within God's creation and music and all this stuff is that God has created a world full of God-glorifying potential in all kinds of aspects. And when we're talking about music, we're talking about the God-glorifying potential that exists in the, in the sphere of physics and sound and acoustic. And there's all kinds of ways to take what God has given us and arrange it in such a way that makes it beautiful or that makes it challenging or provocative or intriguing or all those sorts of things or fun or funny. I, there's all kinds of possibilities, but it's all under this big umbrella of taking what God has made and doing something with it. Um, the, the third point I would make is we need to seek to understand why a particular genre of music works within that genre itself. Now, I, I think this is kind of dying away in a lot of ways. Um, I hope so. But, it, but a lot of, for a long time, particularly in Christian circles, people would basically, you know, take, well, it's like I learned, you know, music theory when I was in high school. You know, basically we analyze box music, figure out why it works, and then we come up with rules. You know, and when I, I went to Berkeley College of Music, so, you know, I had to take couple semesters of traditional harmony and a couple semesters of counterpoint. And of course, you know, it's not like Bach used those rules, broke them all the time. Um, but we're trying to sort of figure out why does this music work? But then what happens a lot of times is that people will take sort of these rules, how this music works, and then apply it to another genre that doesn't really work the same way. And of course, they come out with saying, well, this type of music is better than this type of music. And, um, and, and Christians tend to do that a lot. Christians love to categorize things and make them safe and nice and neat and tidy, right? Uh, and so they, they're always kind of doing this sort of thing. I, there are all kinds of good music in the world, and they work different ways. There are things that jazz does, ways that jazz explores God's creation and develops it and cultivates it that other musics don't do. Now, that, you know, there's blurring and overlapping of those lines, but there are things to do with groove and time and rhythm and polyrhythms and all these sorts of things that are different from the way the Western classical tradition has explored music, right? And that's, that's great. <laughs> and, and who's to make a judgment about this is, this is a more important aspect of music harmonically um, than, than this aspect of music over here? So we should appreciate all kinds of music. And I think part of growing as a Christian is learning to enjoy the things that God has made and finding beauty in all kinds of things. The Apostle Paul actually, in one of his letters, says, you know, is a paraphrase, but it, it's whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, think upon these things. And I think what he's telling us there is there, there are aspects that, to commend in everything human beings have made. There are also um, fallenness and brokenness in everything that human beings have made. But rather than just say everything is, is bad unless it's safe and sanitized because it's considered Christian, um, the Bible never uses the word Christian that way as an adjective. 
like Christian plumbing or Christian music. It, no, when the Bible, the Bible just doesn't use that language. It's, it's a really bizarre situation that we find ourselves even this week while the CMA or the uh, CCM kind of gospel music awards kind of stuff is going down. I was down at the convention center the other day and it's just an interesting thing to have a whole subgenre of music defined in that way. And I, I want us to break out of that if you're a Christian, that's worth thinking about. All right, so what are some of the spiritual correctives that jazz can bring? The first is this, it challenges disembodiment. This is one of Rodney Clapp's ideas. What does he say, mean by this? He refers to the tendency of much of Christianity towards Gnostic tendencies. Gnostic tendencies is basically the bringing in of Greek ideas, Greek ph philosophical ideas into Christianity. Um, the Judeo-Christian heritage is very different than Greek philosophy in its truth and the way it understands the body. Christianity and, and the Judeo-Christian heritage understands the body as a good thing. Physicality is a good thing. Christians haven't always thought that. Christians sometimes have fallen into more of a Greek philosophical idea that the body is something that kind of traps the soul and that maybe one day we'll be free of our earth suits. And you hear this kind of language sometimes. The idea is the goal is for our soul to finally escape out of the body. That's deeply dishonoring to the Bible's view of humanity. The Bible teaches that God created physicality, and he said about it, it was good. The Bible teaches that Jesus took on human flesh, and it was good. And the Bible teaches that the new heavens and the new earth will come down and will be physical, enjoying a physical place for all eternity, not disembodied spirits up on a cloud somewhere, right? But so much of the way we worship and the music that we enjoy does not involve our bodies. In, 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 in a lot of churches, now especially we're thinking about your parents' churches probably more than yours, um, th there's this tendency to sit very rigid and to listen and to have only the mind engaged without the body being engaged. And there's a tendency in Christian circles to think that if the beat actually moves you in any sort of way, well then it's somehow pagan. Ugh. You know, let's, you know, never mind the racism inherent in that idea, um, because most of the music they're talking about comes from the continent of Africa. But it's beyond that. It's, it's misunderstanding of one of the deepest, most important distinctives of the Judeo-Christian heritage, which is that God made us physical, and he said it was good. And jazz, jazz is really impossible to listen to just sitting there static. You, when you watch people listen to jazz, you know, they're, you know, tapping with their pencil or they're, you know, cocking their head this way or that. When, when you listen to live recordings done in jazz clubs, the audience is yelling out, yeah, you know, and, and they're wincing like that hurt. It's like, ow, you know, we watch the players and they're, they're, it's a very bodily thing. There's tons of intercommunication. It's not just sit here, you know, in a tuxedo and pretend that the music doesn't move you at all. That's a, it's a very different tradition than the one that's developed up around classical music, for instance. Um, now, the classical music tradition hasn't always been that way. That's a more recent development as well. But, but jazz can really help us remember that music should move us. I don't read anything in the Psalms that makes me expect that the music didn't move people emotionally. And yet, if you listen to so much music that's done in churches, you get the idea that the more holy and reverent it is, the less it should move you physically. I think that's a real problem. Um, uh, second corrective that Clapp says is it fights against privatization. 
And by this, uh, Rodney Clapp means the way we compartmentalize our lives. I don't think Christians are the only ones who do this, but I think they do it um, quite a lot. Um, you know, the, the, the Western classical music tradition in a lot of ways has been compartmentalized. Uh, since the, it's really a, a mid to late 19th century development, the idea of concert halls and opera houses. Before that, that music was generally performed before raucous crowds that would throw fruit at the entertainers if they didn't like it. Um, it really is as the sort of Eastern Im immigrants, Eastern European immigrants come over to this country that the people who had been here before start to cordon off certain areas of culture. There's an interesting book called Highbrow, Lowbrow, The Emergence of Cultural Hierarchy in America by Arthur Levine where he describes this story. And so what you have is now people taking these art forms, like in the, in the early 19th century, people saw Shakespeare like vaudeville. They, they went and saw it and, and they, they weren't hush, quiet, you know, listening to it. They were, they were you know, throwing stuff and yelling and screaming at, at people. Um, and, and it's just such a different situation. Now that kind of music is done in a concert hall where often the, the, the musicians don't even admit or acknowledge that the audience is there. It's compartmentalized. It's sort of cut off from real life and real people, right? There's not many jazz musicians that have done that, except Miles at a certain period, you know, where he'd always like turn his back to the audience. But, but in general, you know, the reason that people remember that and notice that was because people don't do that generally. Jazz is about connecting things together. It's about communication. Now, it's fascinating. A lot of people don't get this. There's a guy named Richard Weaver who's a professor at the University of Chicago. He wrote a book in the 40s that really is an important book for the neocon political movement. It's called Ideas Have Consequences. Some really interesting things in that book. But his chapter on jazz is crazy. He thinks that jazz is all about anarchy and it's all about the soloist being lifted up and hailed. And, and, and I'm not saying that there aren't times when the music press hasn't done that to certain figures, but if you ever play jazz, you know that it's all about interaction and listening. I remember um, at Berkeley, one of the things they used to do, I don't know if they, they do that here in your jazz ensembles, but we had one prof, he would always make us play with the lights off so that we couldn't see each other, just to make sure that we, could, we were listening to one another. I really think jazz is great training for every kind of music because it really teaches you to listen and read it instead of just sort of living in your own little world. Um, jazz is always about interaction. It's always a communal affair. And um, I, I, think that's, I think that's why jazz musicians have always really not liked playing in the studio. They've always really enjoyed playing more in live, um, live settings and clubs and whatnot. And of course, that's, that's the best way to, uh, to enjoy it as well. Um, so Rodney Clapp says, you know, it's communal music making and thus it resists our modern tendency to focus on the individual and certainly an American tendency. Here's what he says. Jazz is not a music of atomistic individualism, but of communally engaged musicians who can fully become the musical individuals they are for the duration of a particular performance only through dynamic interaction with other musicians and listeners. I simply ask us to consider how much of our Christian worship and our practice of faith in general is more akin to the framing of the concert hall experience than of the jazz performance. And I think that's worth thinking about. How much of our Christian practice, if you're a Christian, is done solo? I, I, I found it interesting over the years when um, friends of mine at times have said, well, I skipped church this morning so that I could spend some time with God reading, reading the Bible alone. And I thought, well, that's very interesting, because 300 years ago, Christians definitely would have thought you had a more, 
a more rich experience with God when you were in the midst of other believers. And I don't think it's just further study of the Bible that's made that flip-flop happen where now most people think that the richest experience you can have with God is by yourself in your quiet time, right? I mean, that, that whole notion is really, is really out of character with most of Christian history, right? And I, I think it's more because the way individualism has squeezed Christians into thinking that the most precious time you can have is this private time with God alone in the garden where he walks with me and talks with me. That's kind of a silly romantic notion. It's not really a very biblical notion. I know there's places where Jesus went alone to pray with God, but in general, it's the worship of God's people coming together. You read the Psalms about that kind of thing. Um, I think it challenges some of our ideas about privatization. All right, um, the third point that Clapp makes is that jazz can help our skewed eschatology by recovering the already not yet tension. What is eschatology? Eschatology generally refers to uh, what you think about the end times, but more generally it means what you think about the future and about our hope and about what we were made for and about our longings and all those sorts of things, okay? So here's what, um, Here's what Clapp says about this. Jazz, like the African spirituals that gave it birth, is about joy in the midst of sadness and about longing and hope. It is filled with tension and thus expresses life after the fall more honestly than a lot of so-called Christian music. Jazz is the eschatological tension that is the human condition set to music, lived as music, able to celebrate and certainly to dance but also, and in the same breath, aching and grieving and raging and never satisfied with the tired old world as it is. And thus, it's, it's more honest than a lot of Christian music is what I'm trying to get at here. It, 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 jazz speaks of both aching longing and also great joy and fun and finding joy in the midst of the frustration, which I actually think is what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. I think the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible uh, a lot of translations, the NIV translation, for instance, starts out that book saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, the old King James said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Both of those are not very good translations. The real word that's translated meaninglessness in the NIV is the Hebrew word hevel, which refers to vapor or breath. The idea in the book is frustration. A better translation would be frustrating, frustrating. Everything is frustrating. The point of the book is after sin has entered the world, everything is frustrated. Nothing can be as beautiful or as good or as honest as it was made to be or meant to be. And yet, there are all these places in the book where it talks about how we are to take joy in our work, in our spouse, in food, in different things that God gives us for joy even in the midst of the frustration. That's the already and the not yet. Already, there are things to enjoy. Already, Christ has come. And, and as C.S. Lewis says, death has begun working backwards with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yet, as we look around, we realize this world is not what it should be. And a lot of, a lot of Christian music is not honest enough to, to embrace that tension. It's really not. Now, I say that as one who was in the Christian music industry for a few years. Um, so often, there's pressure, particularly from radio. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Like the people who do radio are like, if you Christian record companies would give us honest songs, we would play them. But of course they won't because Christian radio is mostly supported by your parents 
and your grandparents who want to provide good, safe music uh, for kids. So of course they don't play anything that kids would actually like. It's this sort of weird thing. I was driving down the road not too long ago, I think it was in Memphis or maybe in Birmingham, and they had a big billboard for the local Christian radio station, and their, their motto was, safe for the whole family. I just wanted to puke. <laughs> like that's the purpose of music? To be safe for the whole family? Goodness, it's no wonder it's completely irrelevant to most young people that I know, okay? Um, there's something about being able to honestly embrace the brokenness and not have to lie about it, not have to put on a smiley face. I, I think that a lot of our worship songs do that, honestly. That's why I'm a big fan of some of the old hymns that, that speak more honestly about the brokenness and the longing and the pain. But that's a different convo. Um, Let's see, Here, here's, here's a couple other points I'll say, and then I'm going to talk about how to listen, and I don't know if we're going to be able to make this thing happen, because I've been trying to get this key to work, and it doesn't work for that cabinet, but maybe I'll spend a couple minutes trying it here in a second. Um, roots and wings. This is an idea that I think is very helpful for Christians to think about. Jazz teaches respect for a tradition, a community that's bigger than just our peers, and the importance of adding our own voice to that tradition. It teaches us, I would say, about discipleship, and you'll even, in, in, ja in the jazz world, they'll even talk about so-and-so was a disciple of Charlie Parker, you know, um, and, and, and it's, it's interesting that even that language gets used. Um, jazz teaches us about discipleship, embodying a tradition, but not as a cookie-cutter Christian. I think Christians have a very hard time knowing how to follow without becoming completely non-thinking individuals, Yeah? I think that jazz can actually teach us about this in a way. In other words, you know, the way I was taught, you had to really study the masters. I had this one professor, Ed Tomasi, and he'd always, he'd always be like, you cats, you got to get your ears happening. You got to bird and train. You just got to get it a bird and train. Just listen to that stuff. You just got to get those sounds in your ears. You just got to live in that, right? And, um, and, and you have to embody it. And yet, at the same time, right, there's all this pressure and it, certainly from horn players I knew, to develop their own sound on the instrument. Not even the notes they play, but even their own sound. Like how do I, how do I understand and, under, and be able to, to kind of study and learn the tradition, to be able to play like so-and-so and like so-and-so and know why they did what they did, but then also add my own voice to the tradition. But I think that's a wonderful picture for what the body of Christ should look like. And I, and I think for the most part, most Christians I know are completely disconnected from any kind of church history. They, they don't know much of anything. I remember there was a Peanuts ca cartoon that I saw years ago that, that I, I remember along these lines. Um, Sally, that's Charlie's, Charlie Brown's little sister, right? She was evidently giving a topic. She had to write a paper about church history. This shows you, you know, you could write these sorts of things in comics that ran in all the national newspapers in the 50s and 60s. But it said, you know, church history. And so she, you know, wrote church history at the top of the page. And she said, um, our pastor was born in 1935. <laughs> you know, there's no church history before our pastor was born. It doesn't matter, you know. I, it's interesting. I wonder how many of you go to churches that have been planted within the last 10 years, you know. Um, so, so much of, of, of our, I, I know, because actually during this year, a couple of the, the guests that have been here, like Stanley Harawas um, and some of the folks I've gotten to hear, have, have raised this question, why can you uh, major in religion here and not have to take any church history, right? And it's not just here, it's all over the place. Church history is being dropped from curriculums or reduced the number of credit hours you need. 
um, all over the place. But I think it's vital that we're connected to our history and our tradition, but not just so that we can exactly do exactly as they did. See, that, you know, I think sometimes we fall into traditionalism, worshiping the tradition and thinking that we can't ever do anything new or anything different. So I think jazz is a wonderful paradigm for how to think about embodying the tradition, respect for the tradition, and yet also adding our own voice. And therefore, I would say it gives us this model of having roots. We're rooted in something bigger than ourselves and bigger than our peers. The Christian church is bigger than people that talk like you and think like you. Hallelujah. Um, it gives us roots and it also gives us wings. It invites us to say, how has God made you? What are the things that he's opened your eyes to see that maybe others are missing, that you need to speak and add your voice? All right, so roots and wings. Um, another thing, and this comes actually from Dexter Gordon, great uh, tenor player, right? Tenor, yeah. Um, he says that jazz is a glorious mongrel that takes everything and makes it new. And of course, if you, if you know much about jazz, so many of the jazz standards, like if you ever have a real book, right? We're too young to know this, of course, but so many of those were pop songs that the jazz players would take and then they would, they would make them their own, they would, right? Now we don't know them. Like when I would you know, sometimes be learning jazz songs, my mom would be like, oh, I know that song. You know, it's from this musical or this or that. And you know, we're disconnected from that. We just think you know, this jazz song is, you know, is its own thing, but so many of them are based on, particularly in the formative early years, are based on uh, pop songs. So jazz is taking something and then making it new, like Dexter Gordon says. And what's interesting about this is that I think this is actually a characteristic of all minority cultures. What I mean is improvisation is a way of life for minority cultures. I listened to a guy, when I gave this jazz talk originally, it was part of a, a series of talks that people were given on different aspects of music. And one of, the, one of the guys was given a talk on rap music and making the same point. You know, in some ways rap music is, okay, if all, if all we have, at least in the early days, are old records, we can make music even out of that, right? That whatever you, whatever you limit us to, we're gonna turn it around and show how we can be creative even if we don't have access to all the things that other people have. Now the reason, I think this is a really interesting point in thinking about most of the musics that come from the African American tradition, but I also think it's an important thing for Christians in a post-Christian world. Because, guys, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians don't run the world anymore, right? And I'm not saying that they should. I actually think Christianity works best when it's critiquing the status quo not when it is the status quo. It tends to lose its effectiveness when it becomes the majority. Um, some of you may wish that we went back to a time when Christianity ruled the world. I'm not sure that that was a good thing in a lot of ways. But I, I, I will tell you this, if you're gonna be a Christian in the coming years, you're gonna have to learn how to do improvisation if you wanna talk to people about your faith. You can't just sort of, project, you know, sort of present your spiel without being to interact with people and hear what they have to say. So I think improvisation as a way of life, particularly as Christians no longer are the majority, we can learn a lot from, from improvisation and from jazz. The idea that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's basically thinking about communicating with people more as persuasion and interaction more than proclamation. It's different than standing on a street corner and just saying, here's what you need to believe. 
right? I think the days when Christians could do that is really over. And, and I think so many Christians are still being trained to share their faith that way. And I think jazz can teach us a lot about improvisation, give and take, hearing what this person has to say, and then sort of responding and adding your own part to it. Um, there's also a whole interesting thing um, about this guy, Michael Polanyi, which I had more time I'd get into. But Michael Polanyi is a guy, you all should study him more in your freshman seminar classes, which are about how do you know what you know? Because Michael Polanyi has done some very interesting work in this area. And one of the things he says is that what you know is always based on faith and intuitive knowledge. That so much of what you know, you can't explain how you know it. But that doesn't mean that it has no right to be called knowledge. And um, I think jazz improvisation is a great example of this. Because you may get taught in music school, and I was taught, like when this chord happens, you analyze the chords, and you play this scale over this chord in this situation. But there's no jazz player that plays that way. Nobody plays that way. And at the speeds that those guys are playing sometimes, not just guys, I, I don't mean that in a gender, gender uh, way, but th at the speed that those players are playing, there's no way that they're thinking, now I'm playing A after B, and then I'm going to go to B flat. And B. No, it's, it's embodied knowledge. They've got the sounds in their heads and then their fingers that comes out. Um, and I think that actually a lot of people's barriers to knowing God and thinking that there's a big conflict between faith and reason is because they don't really understand some of the things that Polanyi is teaching us about how knowledge works. Now that's a topic for a whole other day. If you want to study that further, I'll tell you to go to a website called Longing to Know. Um, there's a lady, Esther Meek, who's developed a lot of these ideas. Um, there's a Polanyi Society. There's lots of people that are investigating his ideas, but longingtoknow.com um, does that. And if you were in Becca McBride's freshman seminar class, anybody in her classes ever? Yeah, you read that book, right? And it, it was pretty interesting. Okay, so how to listen. I want to play you a, um, a West Montgomery track. Um, there's lots of things to listen to. Some of them I can yell out as it goes by. Um, but I think, it, you know, when you're listening to jazz, you know, some of the things to appreciate are the rhythm, uh, the groove, often different rhythms over top of other rhythms, often a feeling like the, the soloist or somebody is sort of going out on a tightrope and they're not sure if they're going to make it back, but then they do. And that's sort of one of the ways you build tension and release um, within jazz. Let's see here. All right. All right. So this is a real basic tune. It's 12 bar blues. It's Wes Montgomery on guitar. It's Miles Davis's rhythm section of the time, Winton Kelly on piano. Basic, I, I like this one because it's real basic. The melody is real basic. Johnny Griffin is playing sax on them. It's recorded live at a club, so it's got all the aspects that I like. Melody is real simple. Almost two notes. Three, you know. Listen to how the drummer is keeping the rhythm, but he keeps doing what they call dropping bombs, like little rhythmic attacks. 